All right, what is going on, guys? It is time for another episode of the Chasing Waypoints podcast. And here we go. We are continuing with the series. We were doing it in the bivouac, but then I'm like, you know what? No, we're going to go with Dakar Debrief. So if you guys are listening to this episode, you already know there's a few of those out there. And I am looking forward to bringing more. We still got, we still got a few to go. But, you know, we'll, we'll get through them. Guys are getting back, you know, finally getting into the groove of things. So hope you guys are enjoying those episodes and looking forward to putting more out there. So I say so a lot. So what do you guys think? No. Anyway. All right. Yeah, let's get to it. OK, so this week's episode, you already read it. You already know who we're going to have on the show today. Talking a little bit about his Dakar rally. And some of the future plans. Get them, uh, get them queued up here. So, how's everybody been doing? What have you guys been riding? Dakar's over. What are we doing next? Are we all going to Sonora Rally? You know, Kota Rally, Baja Rally. Are we doing some rally schools? What do we got? Hmm? You got to be doing something. Right, so let's get this all queued up here, plugging in the phone, letting them know that we are already recording. You know, and I have them. Uh... I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but I really don't plan the shows out a whole lot. And the main reason behind it is I love the natural feel of it and everybody just talking, and it's, you know, everybody listening in the garage, right? We're all in the garage or in the bivouac, you know, whatever. However, you guys want to do it. So, here we go. This time around, we have none other than competitor number 127 at the Dakar Rally, Ace Nilsson. So, let's get the phone call going here. In a bit. So, if you guys remember, we have had him on the show before talking about High Desert Adventures and what he does uh, on that side of things. Let's see here. Hitting that button we'll mute that one and get it going looks like he's answered the phone already but yeah so you guys we've had him on the show before you know a little bit about high desert adventures and what he's done there well this time he's gone all the way across the ocean into the middle of the desert for the dakar rally and so we're going to be talking to him a little bit about his adventures there and what are we going to be doing after ace you there hey victor how's it going good how are you sir you know what? I'm mending quite nice, nicely. I'm getting around, so it's uh, it's all good. I'm talking to you. It's all you know. <laughs> one more could I ask for on a what is it? Or a Friday afternoon at twelve thirty? I know, right? It's it's yeah. kind of weird being off during the middle of the week. I know you got a whole different schedule with your job and what you do. So that's a little, this yeah. is weird to me though. <laughs> no, it's all good. How are you, sir? Nice, doing well. I'm looking forward to getting on a bike here soon. Jeez, I feel like I, I don't even remember if it's first, the first gear down, right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> typically, typically I've got one in the garage. That's not that, but that's another story. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So welcome back stateside. And it's been, you've been Thank here a you. little bit. Um, yep. So tell me a little, let, let's get right into it. Dakar 2023. What was it like? Oh, wow. <laughs> You know, you can you can do all the research. You can talk to a million people about what it's like, but until you actually get over there and set foot in in Saudi Arabia and the bivouac, yeah, I I truly, um, it's difficult to put into words, and it was hard to it was it's hard to explain. It's um, take the largest national race that you've ever been to and multiply it by fifty, like. Seriously, the bivouac is a mile long by a mile and a half wide. It's it's insanely huge. Um, the organization, the the facilities, the 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 city that moves from place to place on a daily or every other day or every third day basis. Um, there's multitudes of them, and they all move independently of each other. So to try and wrap your head around how that all happens, and and um, it was it was just I was kind of in awe, you know. I I belong to Nora, which is a 
a club up in the Northwest and we put on a couple races a, a year and we put on a cross country race. We put on a, a, a Grand Prix and we see between, you know, 200 and I think the most we've ever had is 375 riders. And that's quite an ordeal to set up a course, to handle the registration, to, you know, manage the gate fees, to get people registered, put them in the computer, do all the things that you do. To do that on an international scale and do it in a, in a country um, that nobody's from and then move it from, you know, one end of the country across the entire country to the other side over a period of 14 days. It's just it, it was something to be um, just marveled by. I was I was just kind of awestruck, if you will. And and, you know, like I said you know, the last time we talked, I was really kind of surprised I qualified on my first application. So it was, you know, coming to terms that I deserve to be there and I, I earned the spot that I got, but the, the talent that was there is at another level, you know? So, um, so it was good. I just, uh, to get there was goal one, goal two was to finish and unfortunately, I didn't finish. I had a crash on day six or stage five um, that left me with some broken bones. But up to that point, I was having an absolute fantastic time. Um, everything was working really well. The bike was awesome. The interaction with the team was phenomenal. Um, and the the stages that I did get to ride were, uh, <laughs> you can't make it up. It's like... I was trying to tell somebody what it was like um, riding in Saudi Arabia. And, and the desert over there is pretty much unmolested. There's no trails. There's no tracks. Um, there's very few roads even. And so the places that we did ride, it's like if you took the California desert, the Nevada desert, the Utah desert, and the Arizona desert, and you lined them up all together – and you traverse them for the very first time on a motorcycle, that's what it felt like we were riding. Oh, wow. Okay. So, <laughs> so it, this, this has been a common theme is that it, whatever you think you knew going in is not what it is when you get there. It's very much different yeah. terrain, organization, and everything. Wise. That's, that's yeah. absolutely crazy. And, I mean, I saw, like, you had a little bit different plan. You were, you were over there early, right? And, and doing some testing and. Yeah. And so up until this point, despite a few different attempts to get on a, on a proper rally bike and RFR, I wasn't able to do so. So I, I kind of shifted my plan and I talked with the team manager at, at Deuce and uh, Philip, he recommended that I come over to Dubai and do some training ahead of time just to get my feet wet and uh, get some time on a rally bike and then also spend some time riding in the sand of the Middle East because it's different. It's different than going to Glamis. It's different than going to Pahrump or, or Dumont or Pismo. It's kind of hard. It's, it's more similar to Sonora, um, but still, it's different. So I went over um, a couple weeks early and I spent, uh, I think I did a total of seven days of, of training in Dubai in the dunes and just getting used to the rally bike, getting used to the ETRF, which is a little bit different than the rally comp that we use in the States. Um, and uh, I felt that that was really beneficial because day one on a rally bike in the sand uh, that's a little bit different. I struggled to make it over some of the dunes initially. So it wasn't until the second and third day that I was feeling more confident and more proficient, you know, uh, navigating the dunes. And um, so I think, I think that was a good decision and, and it kind of finished off my fitness level, you know, too. Um, so I spent some time training over there in addition to riding. So, and that was that was I think a good decision, and I I think I would do that again if if it ever comes up that this is another opportunity. Gotcha. Yeah, just spending some time on the bike, making sure that you're you're getting used to the the terrain. That that was something interesting. Like, have you seen dunes that size here stateside? Yeah, the dunes. I mean, Dubai, the dunes weren't all that big, um, but going into Saudi. Mm -hmm. um, 
the magnitude of the dunes is probably, I mean, we have some big dunes in Glamis, and then you go to Sonora, and they're a little bit bigger there. I would say if you take the tallest, most difficult dune in Sonora and you multiply it by two and a half, you're getting close to what you're going to see in Saudi. Oh, wow. <laughs> and there, and there's not, um, the thing I found most challenging was there are some that have a very steep entry at the bottom. Mm-hmm. So you'll have a long uh, valley leading up to them and you're kind of looking at them like, oh, crap, where am I going to get a run at this? And you see a few tracks ahead of you. For me, there was a lot of tracks because I was mid-pack or further back. So there was there was a lot of tracks. And then what I started figuring out was, okay, look at the tracks and where do they make it over the top? Or do you see a lot of tracks that are turning around and coming back down? And uh, so when I when I started using that strategy, like, okay, don't look where the one or two or three tracks that go straight ahead and then over the top. Look for the majority of the tracks that find a way over the top or around the side. And so I I, I did a lot of playing uh, the more conservative game. I, I tried initially to try and climb some of the big ones and just didn't make it. You know, when you're using the... Uh, the Michelin Desert Race, which is basically an, an enduro tire with not a lot of tread. Mm-hmm. You have to have a lot of momentum to make it up those big, steep dunes. And unless you're like Mason Klein and you weigh a buck 30 um, and you got tons of horsepower, that's that's a little bit different. Um, but for, this, for us larger guys on pretty much stock bikes, um, that wasn't... Uh, the most successful route so you know just kind of learning which ones i could attack which ones needed a little bit different um angle some of them you know start up this like at a a 40 degree or 45 degree angle versus hitting them straight on um proved to have some um success so you know it's a little bit of trial and error because there was no practice on that magnitude of dune it was here we go yeah just send it (laughs) yeah yeah and i mean i could see that because now you're um i think it's one of those things that you you see the suspension how i think it all has to play in the game because from my understanding is is that it almost like it was kind of a risk for some people you know doing basically lawn darting it into the bottom of these dunes because the face was so steep but then it's that like well i gotta hit it otherwise i'm really not gonna get up this right right and it was and the the issue is you can't tell which ones are going to be hard at the bottom and which ones are going to be soft and honestly there was there was places um just riding when you got into the the deeper dunes like the ones that didn't have valleys between them but you're just going from dune to dune mm-hmm. there were there were some spots that for no reason there's no there's no visual cue or anything like that you're going along 30 40 miles an hour and the bike just stops i mean stops within 10 feet you know 40 to 0 10 feet and you're if you don't have good body position or you don't have your, you know, your elbows locked and out, you're going over the bars. <laughs> you know, there's a couple of times that I just stopped instantly and I'm, you know, doing a flying W handstand, you know, trying not to go over the front of the bike and then, you know, spend, spend a couple of minutes digging it out. But, and there's just no warning. Yeah. It just comes and, up on you. And- yeah. And I experienced that training in Dubai too. And I, and I talked to the guy that I was training with and he's, he's lived there for 20 years. And he said, when you figure it out, let me know, because there's virtually no way to tell, mm. you know? So he says, you know, there's some that you can tell that, you know, there's ripples when the, when a sandstorm comes through or the windstorm comes through, it'll create ripples. And, and those are typically the harder dune, the ones that are smooth or softer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, that's not a hundred percent. Yeah. That's still not foolproof. Right. Ugh. Man, that, I mean, that would, I think just that alone is, the, is a challenge. I mean, that, yeah. <laughs> I could see where it could get tiring, you know, and then especially uh, having to dig the bike out and it's not a light bike. I mean, compared right. to what you're used to riding out here. Yeah. I mean, the riding initially though, the, the first three days, we didn't see a lot of dunes. I mean, it was the first day, 
um, really fast flowing track. Um, you saw the pictures, you watched all the, the car highlights. I've been wa- binged watched them now and got to see it from a different perspective, but you know, it was, it was unreal. This, the tracks were just pristine. There was no, you know, there's no whoops out there. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no like, you know, um, just beaten in path. Like if you've ridden in Mojave or out in the high desert in California, there's hundreds of trails going every which direction. That's not the case there. If there's a road, there's one road. Uh, and the majority of the time for us, there was no road. We were just following a cap hitting or going through a valley or whatever. And you could ride, you ride wherever you want, but understand nobody's ridden there before. So if there's, you know, I, I recall like um, Sam Sutherland went out on day one, 50 something kilometers in. And I remember riding by his bike. They had it, you know, up, standing up and protecting the rider. The helicopter was still there. And uh, I was like, holy cow, the winner of last year's Dakar is out. Slow down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, take it easy. Cause I was, you know, I was in full, you know, race mode, sending it. And, I recall going by, I think um, Kyle McCoy caught up to me and I was riding with him and we were going through this this valley and there was trees and there's just per- perfect prestigious sand mm-hmm. and we're hauling ass. I mean, we're doing 75, 80 miles an hour across this valley. And uh, I remember passing a rock. It looked like a tombstone sticking out of the ground and it was out of the ground maybe about 18, 20 inches but it, it was the same color as the sand. And I passed it doing 75 and I missed it by a foot. Mm-hmm. And it was shortly after we passed where Sam was. And I was like, Oh my God, that's probably what he hit. And if I hit something like that, going 75 miles an hour, my, my rally is done. And about the same time, Kyle came, you know, I pulled up next to Kyle and he's like, let's back it down. He's given me a motion with his hand let's slow down. <laughs> so we, we rolled it off a little bit and backed it down, but you know, that was, that was kind of the wake up call very early in the rally. That was stage one. It was like, yeah, this could be all be over very quickly if we're not super careful. So yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, that it, it's interesting. I'm, I'm picturing as you're saying, I mean, you're literally, it was a decision you made, you know, uh, uh, a few hundred yards ago to drift a little bit over to that one side. And that was the difference between you and that, and that rock. And, yeah. And I mean, <laughs> and to be 15 miles or 15 days of racing and all that, and to be so early on. So I agree. I mean, I think that that was obviously that's the, you know, from the 50,000 foot view. Yeah. That's the smart choices. You know, let's back it down. That finish lines a ways away. Right. And so, so from that point on, I think, we, you know, I wrote it 70%. Um, and just had the goal of get to the finish each day, you know, get to the finish, get to the finish, get to the finish. And, um, felt really good at the end of each day. I felt like, um, I never had cramps or anything. My nutrition was solid. We had a physio on our team, um, that would just basically check in with us as we got in. Um, he had vitamins, you know, ready for us, like little vitamin shots that were liquid with magnesium and, uh, vitamin E and zinc. And, you know, so we got vitamin shots right away. There was food ready for us when we got back to the bivouac, we didn't have to go off and hunt for it. Um, you know, so nutrition was really good. The bike prep was super good. Um, got really good sleep each night and I really (laughs) fell falling asleep in a, in a motorhome with a, you know, warm bed. I was thinking about the, my brothers over at ARO going, you know, they got, they've got it rough. You know, they've definitely picked the hard way to do this. And, uh, you know, so much respect for their effort, each and every one of them. Um, so yeah, huge, huge props to those guys. But from my perspective, everything, you know, from my perspective, everything was going perfectly. Um, I didn't even have so much as a blister on either of my hands, you know, after six days of racing. So felt really good. Yeah. And that, that was an interesting thing. I mean, how much, how much time before the rally did you spend dialing in your gear or, or did you just take basically what you, what you've ridden in? 
Yeah, I didn't change anything up. I've been riding with climb gear since, well, since bef- 2013 or 14. And then in 2019, they actually stepped up and we came to, to terms on a, a little bit of a sponsorship deal. Mm-hmm. Um, with the Dakar rally as, as the end goal. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've, they've been helping me out for a while and I love their gear. I'm used to it. And, uh, yeah, it's working absolutely perfect. I didn't, I didn't use anything but the Mojave, um, gear and glove and, uh, had zero issues, zero issues with my hand. I didn't tape my hands. I didn't use any protective, you know, like liners or anything like that. So nice. And I, I attribute that more to the bike setup than to the gear. Okay. Yeah. That it yeah. was not. And did you guys, I mean, the bike that you got when you got to Saudi and then the bike that you raced, did, I mean, was there a lot of tuning that you did in between? Or- yeah. So we did uh, the majority of tuning was done on a practice bike in Dubai. Mm-hmm. And then we basically took the suspension off that bike and put it on the RFR in Saudi that was already on the boat. Um, so when we got it off the boat and got it out of, you know, transport, um, we were able to roll it in and basically just swap the suspension from what I had been training with to um, take the stock suspension off, put that suspension on. So, um tuner with the uh, tbt suspension here in california and he, he actually lives up in washington but he's down in california all the time mm-hmm. he helped with the initial setup um travis and then um he sent me over with springs and valving and stuff like that we went and saw the uh um the factory guys at wp mm-hmm. and they actually did the installation of the springs and valving and stuff and then I think it was on day four. Um, we were heading into the dunes and um, decided to go with a slightly different setup, and they nailed it. It was absolutely perfect. Um, the bike was working absolutely perfect. Didn't matter if I was in rocks or sand or mud. It was, you know, it just did everything I wanted it to. Nice. Yeah, I think that's obviously one of the bigger bigger deals right i mean 15 days you got to make sure that bike does everything you want even if i I would even think that even if the bike is a little bit soft but i guess just comfortable is the big the big one there yeah comfortable and i I think um soft was the ideal condition for the first four days and then as you progress to the to the dunes the recommendation was to go a little bit stiffer in the front add a little bit more um, rebound in the front. So the, so the front end rides a little bit taller and doesn't dig into the sand quite so much. And it was working really, really well. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. I think that that all, all the little changes and trying to get that, I mean, it all contributes to, to a successful, you know, even every day. I mean, I, I mean, it's what it was. I think the average was about 300 miles, 250 to 300 miles a day that you'd be riding. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, I think every little bit is going to help. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. So, so is there going to be an RFR in your garage soon? Are you going to bring one of there those will things be back? An RFR. Yeah. Yeah. The bike that I rode, I did purchase. So I, it'll actually go to uh, Sonora first, um, or somewhere in Mexico first, and then it'll make its way to Sonora. My, my plan is to hopefully ride Sonora if I'm cleared to do so. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. And then keep that one here stateside for sure. There you go. I'm, I'm liking that we're starting to see more of these things come over to this, uh, this side of the pond. It's a shame that you just can't like literally walk into KTM, throw a deposit down and say like, you know, yeah, it'll be here in six months. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. yeah. I Hopefully. Mean, I mean, I'd like to see that day come. I don't know what the, I think it's the home, what is it? Home legation rules or statutes or whatever yeah. to keep it from and i don't know if it's epa stuff or what but yeah i'm sure it's got to be something well i mean if it's well it's not going to be euro five so yeah i don't know that's a that's an interesting one there's i bet you literally it's probably comes down to two things there's one thing that just doesn't work like oh the headlight is just so or the windscreen is just this or there's no way of adapting some kind of smog related item to it uh, and, or, 
they just flat out like, why would we, it's not a big enough market. Why are we going to pay to have this bike certified, quote unquote, to be able to sell stateside? That's probably it right there. Yeah. So hopefully, I mean, if, you know, the, if the rally thing continues to grow and we'll start to see, you know, okay, like, well, maybe this is, they'll, they'll start to see like, damn, if we would have sold all these guys that had RFRs now in the States, their bike, <laughs> this would have been a pretty good market. <laughs> Right. Right. For sure. Yeah. So, uh, you kind of alluded to it, but, uh, so what's next? Uh, are, are you working towards Sonora rally or what are you thinking? Yeah, definitely working towards Sonora rally last year. Um, you know, we had kind of a, an abrupt exit, um, with, with support for the stateside rallies, um, and rally Pan Am decided not to, uh, provide service kind of dissolved or whatever happened there. And so kind of, you know, um, Robert was resurrecting, um, freedom rally racing, um, Kansas rally team. And about the same time I was talking with my partners here at high desert adventures that, Hey, we, you know, this is very similar to providing support that we do on a daily basis for our tours that we do in central Oregon and in Baja could we do this for Sonora Rally and, and help out? There was a request to help out with the Maui Moto class from Darren at Sonora. And we decided ultimately to do it. And and uh, Robert Mann from Freedom Rally Racing and myself, we kind of partnered together to um, put something together. And this was early on when, when Sonora was supposed to happen in the spring, right? And then it got pushed to the fall. And... Uh, we didn't have a program for Baja Rally, so I, I rode under uh, the Baja uh, Rally tent for, for Freedom Rally Racing. And then for Sonora, we came together and, and uh, High Desert Adventures took care of um, the Maui Moto class. I think we had nine riders, and then we had three that were riding supported. And, of course, you know, Robert and his team and uh, Mike and everybody did a great job supporting, you know, riders for Sonora, and they had a, a big contingent as well. So this year, it looks like it's going to be even bigger with the uh, WRC, uh, Sonora being part of the World Rally stage. Mm -hmm. um, and there's all kinds of interest. I know, you know, um, not to speak for Robert or Freedom Rally Racing, but they, they have a full contingent of riders. That they're going to be supporting nine or ten riders, uh, some of them on RFRs, some of them on, in, you know, typical enduro bike. Uh, with rally towers and it looks like we're going to have something similar i'm actually teaming with um the dust uh company uh rally team that i rode for in dakar mm -hmm. uh, they're going to be coming stateside uh to do some training this year um and they're bringing i believe it's six rfrs over from poland um and dubai they're kind of pulling the resources and they're going to send them over and together, we're going to provide support for Sonora and potentially Baja Rally. We don't know if that's the case yet or not for Baja Rally, but definitely for Sonora, we'll have a contingent of riders. So it'll be, at this point, looks like it'll be Conrad Dubrowski, uh, who had to miss out on on um, the Dakar Rally this year. He came down with appendicitis nine days before yeah. the rally. And then actually had surgery and had his appendix uh, removed seven days before the rally. So he was unfortunately unable to compete. Um, but it'll be Conrad, it'll be Jacob Augerbright, and myself, and then uh, pot potentially three other fly and ride riders. I know that there's interest from a couple people across the pond and interest from a few people here in stateside and um, up in BC. So we'll see who lands on those bikes. And then we'll have um, a few enduro bikes with rally towers available as well to rent. And then we're also going to be uh, supporting the Mali Moto class um, if it comes to fruition. Like if it, I, and I've talked to Darren, he thinks it's going to be um, a class again this year. It's just a matter of determining where it's going to live. Is it going to be um, a part of the national class? Is it going to be rally two or GP or, or can a Mali Moto guy compete in all three 
and there be a, a prize for each of those classes. That's yet to be determined. And I think, you know, Darren's working out the logistics and how that's going to look, kind of making those decisions as he talks to the ASO and, and their, their format. So mm-hmm. more yeah. to come on that. Yeah, I know. No, I mean, and I can imagine the, all the moving pieces that it involves and, and all of the traffic that they're getting now, you know, people wanting to know and, uh, last year, I mean, we, we saw it, we were there, you know, right. Remember, you know, the bivouacs, uh, certain locations were kind of small hotel space being limited in certain areas. So, right. You know, that is definitely going to be an interesting, uh, production this year. Uh, but I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm happy that we've got around over here. You know, I, th- I think that's just cementing the fact that it's growing on this continent, uh, further North. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that the key will to be getting the, the press and the TV coverage and stuff. If we can get that on the, on the TV in the States and actually have it, you know, broadcast, um, that will be, you know, really effective in raising awareness for not only what rally is as a sport and how it works, but, um, just to kind of show where we go and the, the beautiful countries that we race in and, and the scenery and the terrain and and the the operation that that goes behind it just that in itself is intriguing to people mm-hmm. i can't tell you how many people that i've talked to you know knew nothing about dakar they, they give you the blank stare kind of the deer in the headlight look when you mentioned the car and then how do you not know about this okay but anyway here's what it is yeah <laughs> <laughs> and you, you go through it I, you know a good example is i i flew um from california to to portland last night mm-hmm. and uh and my flight wasn't taken off for three or four hours so i was in one of the lounges and i you know sitting down talking to a guy and um and uh, is you know what you do and this and that blah 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 and he's, uh, oh I was he mentioned that he was in Poland and he was then in uh, Dubai and I said oh really and I told him you know basically what I was over there for and what I did and he's like I I've never heard about this but I'm intrigued and so you know he's 26 27 years old happens to ride motorcycles um, but's never heard of rally before so he you know showed him pictures showed him some videos and he's like this is fascinating and I'm interested, you know? So, you know, just a total random stranger at an airport in a lounge with a guy. And it's like, here's, here's a potential rally customer. That's, you know, after a 20 minute conversation is intrigued with the sport and wants to learn more, he's going to go home and research it and do, you know, he's, he's already got the bug. You can just see it in their eyes. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's so. But I mean, uh, it's it's interesting. I mean, it's like soccer, right? I mean, obviously, soccer's gained a lot more traction here in the states, but uh, over right. years and years and years. Um, but it, it's kind of the same thing, you know. It's more popular in the rest of the world than it is here. But I feel right. like a lot of people are going to transition or want to transition into something similar to this, right? It's enough racing, but it's also chess, and you know, it's not about your overall speed. So I feel like there's more just based on that alone. It's like, well, I still want to race, but I don't want to go out there and break myself every time or risk breaking myself every time just to win. When here you're a couple of waypoints away from ruining your day. Right. Yeah. So that that will be interesting. I think everybody in the rally industry here is now, uh, they're all ambassadors to the sport. (laughs) So Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's just, it's such a good group of good people, um, like-minded, just, you know, I, and I've raced in all the different forms. I had a very, very small amount of time in motocross myself. My son raced motocross. I've, I've been around that scene. Um, it's, it's not bad. It's just, it's not rally, <laughs> you know, and I've raced off-road and the off-road community is amazing. Mm-hmm. but it's not rally it's you know it's just the rally community is a step above they're just and, and at least that's been my experience so i have nothing but good things to say and um i guess that's you know that's where my passion is and that's what i enjoy right now and so um, yeah i'm all in yeah 
I hear you. And so are you, I know they're going to do, I think uh, Dan is doing a, the SoCal rally down here. Do you think you're going to be out at that one or? So when the schedule came out Mm -hmm. for high desert adventures and we have to plan our stuff well in advance to do tours in Baja, Mexico, Mm -hmm. um, we had set a tour in March, you know, we usually, we do a, a tour in either January or February, but because of Dakar and the timeline of things, um, we pushed it back. Mm. So we pushed it back to March, um, 18th through the 25th, which happens to coincide with, uh, with, with Dan's rally. So I will not be at that. And at the same time, we planned a, a tour for April and that was the 22nd through the 30th, which is the same time as Sonora rally. Uh. <laughs> So um, I will be at Sonora Rally. We will be providing support there. But we also have those tours happening in Baja, and we have people signed up for them. And uh, we have room for more. And if there's people that's interested in in doing a seven, it's actually eight days of um, riding in Baja down the peninsula from Ensenada to Cabo, uh, fully supported, all meals included, chase trucks, uh, we have medics that are on the ride. We have uh, Paul Krauss joining us for the April ride. So multi-time Baja 1000 champion, Dakar rider. Um, it'll be some great, great bench racing after uh, each day of riding and, and some amazing riding. We ride some of the best trails in Baja, um, less traveled by other tour groups because they are known to be a little more difficult and a little bit harder to access. And therefore they're, they're a little bit riskier. Um, but they are some of the best in, in the peninsula. So we have a great time. We, we not to, you know, kind of boast, but we do a really good job of taking care of our riders, our clients. And it's a, it's a high end tour that, um, forever is memorable nice yeah Yeah. i mean and it's funny because there there's so many trails down there in baja and it's like uh i think it's almost kind of like the equivalent of excel you know every everybody knows certain things but everybody you meet knows this one specific thing that you don't know how to do this one particular function so i feel like baja is kind of the same you know everybody kind of knows these certain trails the race courses and all that but it's the the ones that when you're on the race course, the, that road to the left actually leads back around into this area that a lot of people don't go because one, they don't know, or two, uh, just would not ever venture away from the paint, beaten path if they didn't have yeah. somebody guiding them. Right. Right. Yeah. I'll have clients ask me or potential customers ask me, do we get to ride the Baja 1000 race course? And I said, you know, we'll cross over it and we might ride on it for a couple few miles and then you'll be wanting to get back to the trails that we do ride. <laughs> but yes, you will get to see what the Baja 1000 race course is like, and you won't want to ride it for very long. Yeah. <laughs> it's, some of the, it's some of the most beat up trail and course on the planet. And for the guys that ride that, you know, I've, I raced the Baja 1000 four times, um, three times with a, a four or six man team and once with a two man team. So I rode the first half of it. Mm-hmm. So I rode 485 miles and then Dean self rode the second half. Uh, I can tell you, I never want to do that again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, It was great. It was great to accomplish that as a goal. And it's a goal that's it's, it's in the chest and I don't need to go there again. <laughs> then they're done that. Check the box. We're good. Yep. We're good. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how to do it. I remember one day I had a KTM. It was my first big bike. It was a 625, oh, yeah. 620 and LC4. And I was like, you know, I'm going to ride on zoo road and I'm going to go from the access road from one access road to the next, which, uh, on zoo road, I think it might've been like five or 10 miles. It, w- it really wasn't that big of a distance, but I was just like, Hey, you know, I want to try and ride the race course. Hey, uh, mistakes were made. Yeah. Yeah. I, I literally, I remember at one point I'm like, okay, this is stupid. There is no way that these guys go through this, you know, on these whips. So I'm yeah. like, okay, I'm going to go left. And I went like left for like a hundred, hundred meters couldn't find a line. And then I went right for a hundred meters and I'm going, this is useless. I'm just going to skirt my way back. 
I'm all, yeah. I'm not going to do this. You know, it's just, it's insane. And yeah, I, I could see that where, you know, yeah, everybody, the fame that the Baja 1000 courses, you know, cause of course from the helicopter shots, they always show these epic trails and some of it is, is pretty good, but like, you know, on the coast, uh, trying to get, uh, in and around the, the, at end area and go into Santo Tomas, you know, yeah, that all looks really bitching in the coastline on that stuff, but then you've got that one hill coming out of La Calavera, whether you're going up or down it, it's all beat up. It's all these huge stones. It's all this stuff. And it's just like, yeah, yeah. You don't oh, want yeah. to do that all day long. Yeah. Go up and go up and over Brago a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. That, that'll cure you from ever wanting to, to <laughs> ever wanting to do that again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, crazy. No, it, it definitely is. So, so that's awesome. So, I mean, got tours coming up, got uh Sonora rally coming up. I mean, that obviously it's going to be a big, uh, a big production. And so you guys are going to do the tour at the same time and then also be at Sonora rally. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yep. yep. Keith will take the group down the peninsula. He's got help from, uh, we're partnering with speed and sport adventure on that, um, operation. So Ken Fott will be there. Uh, Paul Krauss will be leading the group some and, um, yeah, we have a local guide as well assisting. So, and and of course, we'll have the, all the typical chase truck medics stuff like that. So, yeah, nice. yeah, full full productions. It's just going to be a uh, it'll be a busy few, you know, busy couple of weeks, and uh, um, be a little stressful for me as an owner, <laughs> you know, <laughs> having having two different operations going on. But yeah, no, we fully enjoy it. And uh, we're passionate about what we do and, and we're not going to miss Sonora rally. So we'll be there. Yeah, no, that'll be, it'll be awesome. And get to get to bench, do some bench racing and talking down there and uh, enjoying it. I think, you know, the, the food and the, the whole ambience, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a great, great event. Uh, you know, I want to, um, I want to go back to Dakar for a minute and just yeah. talk a little bit you know, kind of talked right up to where I had my accident on, on stage five. And I still don't really know exactly what happened. I, I got up and went back and looked at the bike, looked at my track and near as I can figure is the, the rear end dropped into a rut and I happened to be skirting around, uh, uh, some camel grass. So I was turning left as it did that. And it, it just, it grabbed me and, um, near as I can tell I high sided in it just, it's not a really a good way to describe it. I, I call it, I got bitch slapped. <laughs> 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 and unfortunately the, the soft sand I was riding isn't where I landed. I landed on what felt like concrete and I had a couple skip marks and then I came to rest on all fours. Mm-hmm. But what I, what I want to talk about is the, um, the organization identifying a rider that's crashed and attending to that rider quickly is uh, an experience it really left um, an impression on me and it was an it was a very positive impression so when I crashed and I had the wind knocked out of me I could hardly speak I I guesstimate I was there on the ground for a minute maybe less than that before the phone on my bike was ringing and then they connected through on their own and was asking if I was okay Hello, are you you okay? We detected a crash. I'm like, holy shit. They've already, they're like already on me. I'm like, great. I need to assess whether or not I can continue. So I'm on my all fours and I'm like, well, I think I'm okay. I'm going to keep going. I really didn't know if I was or not, but I knew I didn't want my car to end at that point. Mm -hmm. And they're like, we have a helicopter in the air. They're close by. Do you need help? I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm going to keep going. I walked over to my bike and I took, you know, picked it up and I started riding. Mm-hmm. And within five minutes, the helicopter had found me and they were watching me for three to four minutes. And I was back up to, I wasn't at full speed. I was probably riding 50% and everything hurt. Um, and I really didn't know what was wrong. Um, I just, I figured maybe I strained a muscle in my neck and I had maybe a pinched nerve in my back or something. That's, that was my hope. You know, you, as, as somebody that doesn't want their Dakar dream to come to an end, you convince yourself that you're okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I kept going, I made it to the gas stop, which was 20 K up and the helicopter had landed there and the trauma surgeon had got off the helicopter and he was waiting for me. 
And so I wrote up and he says, are you okay? And I said, I think so. And I said, but I'd like you to check me out. And I don't want to continue if it's not safe for me to do so. I have pain in my back. I have pain in my chest. So somebody took my bike. They went off and actually refueled it for me. And then he sat me down and, and he did a complete, um, you know, once over and uh, palpated my back, palpated my chest and, you know, went basically through a full assessment he says, you've, you've got some injuries, he says, but I don't think it's unsafe for you to continue. He goes, if you have fractures, they're stable. He goes, but I don't, I can't tell for sure. He says, I can give you a mild pain sedative. He goes, similar to Toradol is what I figured it out later to be. Um, and it's safe for you to continue. So I geared back up after, and we were in a, a neutralization section anyway. So we, I think I had 27 minutes when I pulled into that to the gas stop. So I, I took all of that time to kind of, uh, regroup, uh, hydrate, ate some food, took the pain meds that he gave me and I continued on and I finished the stage. It was like 200 K to the finish and then another, another 130, uh, K liaison. And, but by the time I got back, I was hurting again and, um, got off the bike, needed some assistance getting off the bike and, and basically got out of my gear, went straight to the medical tent where the same doctor was waiting for me again. He was like, I knew you'd be in, let's check you out. Let's get you into x-ray. They've got full x-rays on site, took me out the back door of the, of the med, uh, medical tent into a, a semi truck that had an x-ray machine in it. Mm-hmm. Ended up passing out twice because of the amount of pain that I was experiencing that bought me a trip to the trauma center because they couldn't tell the x-rays were inconclusive. And, and the trauma surgeon was like, you either have something that's fractured or you have something, an organ that's torn, that's causing all this pain. They jumped in the ambulance with me to two doctors from the ASO went to the high medical center with me and stayed there through the night as I was checked out. So, you know, the whole point of this is, you know, the medical care that was on site and available to treat and assist the riders that were there mm-hmm. was so impressive. Coming from the medical industry, I just can't speak highly enough about it. It was incredible. Yeah. And that, so, I, I was going to say that too. Is, I mean, you work in the field. So you understand. Work, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. I come from a tra- trauma, you know, level one trauma center. I see trauma every day. Um, and to watch what they did with a remote, um, basically pop-up tent hospital that was staffed by some of the best surgeons, intensivists, radiologists, um, and specialists in the world was phenomenal. You know, to get to talk to these guys and find out where they work. You know, the one trauma surgeon that went with me to the hospital, he's a top trauma surgeon in Paris, Paris, France. And he spends his free time volunteers to come to uh, the Dakar rally and stay there for how many, how many ever days he was there. And they rotate them in and out. So they've got a full staff that's always on the go. It was just I was blown away by the not only the facility, but the personnel that they had on site. They have uh, physios on site, general physicians. They have osteopaths, which are equivalent to our chiropractors, um, and uh, massage therapists. You name it, they've got it. And it was readily available. They were very uh, welcoming, accommodating, and uh, it's just super friendly. Just, you know, you walk in there with a problem. Yep, come on over, have a seat. Let's take a look. And, you know, I only went there once. I had a very specific problem, and it was the end of my rally, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, I mean, even in, in the in the hospital in Hiel, the the physician, the Saudi physician, after we got the CT scan back and he looked at the results, he says, no, I don't, I don't see any fractures. And, and the trauma surgeon that was with me, he goes, can you give him permission for me to look at your medical records and go see if you have fractures on the CT scan? Because if you don't, this is a very serious issue and we're going to be flying somewhere else 
to get your internal bleeding issues resolved if that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Like, absolutely. Yeah, you have permission. He he came back in smiling. He's like, thank God you have fractures. I'm yeah. like, no, 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 no. That's bad. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's what good. do you mean? <laughs> like, because oh, I was man. super excited. I'm like, no fractures? Uh, it's a pinched nerve. I'm going to go see the chiropractor. He's going to adjust me. We're going to get this thing fixed. And I'm going to be back on the bike. And this is like, you know, three o'clock in the morning. And I'm still thinking I'm going to, you know, the guys are leaving at like 4 a.m. for this marathon, you know, 900 kilometer stage the next day. Yeah. And all I can think about is I got to get geared up. I want to get back on the bike. He's like, nope, you've got uh, your left clavicle is fractured at your sternum. Your first rib on the right side is fractured at your sternum. And you've got three vertebrae in your back that are fractured. He goes, you're done. He goes, I'm not letting you ride. So, mm-hmm. wow. At that point, I was excluded from the rally. Yeah. Uh, and, that, and that's, I mean, you know, this was like a conversation that I also had with Mason, but it's like, it's one of those things is like, any, I mean, you just never know. And something so basic, I mean, you could have probably fallen a couple dozen times that way anywhere in the world doing any particular, you know, rally and dusted it off. It just happened to be this time, you know? Yeah, exactly. And at that point, that was probably my, I think my second crash. I had like maybe third, I think I had two other tip overs in super deep sandy corners going up canyons and I just lost the front end and tipped over or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that was my first like big crash. And then after that, I crashed like four more times just on the way to the gas stop. <laughs> oh geez. <laughs> because yeah. you, you, you're not, you're not riding and jumping like the first five feet of the dune on the other side. You're, you're riding over the top of the dune and the other side of the dune is super soft. And so it's something totally different from what you've been doing for the past four days. And then the front end just dives in and over the bars you go. And now you got to climb up this dune that you just tumbled down with, you know, fractured clavicle, whatever, just ton of pain. And then hike up the dune, yank the bike out of the sand, get it turned around. Cause of course it's upside down and facing the wrong direction. Yeah. So, yeah I, think I had, yeah, I think I had three more and three crashes right like that after the big crash. So, yeah, it was just, yeah, I was I was disappointed to be done. But I also knew what was ahead and knew that there was no chance of well, finishing the, it out with those kind of injuries. Yeah, well, and more than anything is the 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 smart choice. I mean, every one of those crashes that you had after is luck. You know, that, that nothing, that it didn't go any further. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's at at what point, how much you want to push it, you know? So, but yeah, definitely tough, you know, so many days of racing and, and, and to be out on something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But but you get to ride again. We got, you know, events coming and stuff like that. And, and that was, you know, we, we had talked about this, uh, post Sonora rally and just things went everywhere after, but you were privy and, and ended up at Sonora rally having to do some out in the field. Uh, I'm not going to say surgery, but <laughs> your skills, your particular set of skills came in handy. Yeah. You know, I think with Matt, you know, um, and I'm trying to remember who was, who was on scene first, but really he had already stabilized him. I, I came along and, and knew that that rider was in contention. So I released him to go and I had medical training. He didn't, um, but he did all the right things, right? He got, he applied pressure to that wound and he he did all the right things. I had uh, a little bit more extensive medical kit that I carry that has some quick clot in it. it has, I have a suture kit in it, although I didn't, I just, I elected not to do that. We ended up packing his wound and um, taping it. And then actually we used his um, riding gear. We used his, um, his uh, pants to use. He had one of the ratchet um, belt on it. And Mm -hmm. we just used the ratchet on the belt for his pants to like put um, pressure on the wound. So that, uh, that all worked out good. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Another, you know, random, one of those things that you never, you never know. Right. Yeah. And, and I still, I mean, I remember, I think we were all standing around the bike later when it came back and trying to figure out exactly what did it. But I mean, it's, uh, it's not an easy thing, you know, to identify exactly what could have, 
I was thinking the road book. Somebody said the bar end. I mean, I've, I think he said the bar end. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what we, we settled on was the most likely clause, but yeah, there's, there's 10 things on the front of that bike that any one of them could have, could have hit just the right way. And, and his was, it was kind of just an oddball injury. It wasn't like a laceration. It wasn't something that cut it. It was something that, you know, applied enough pressure to tear the, his abdomen, tear his abdomen and the, and the flesh beneath it. I mean, right down to the, it's never seen that before, but I could visualize an artery and I could visualize a vein and a nerve. They all run together down in that groin. So yeah, it was, it was a pretty crazy injury for sure. Yeah. And very, very lucky that it wasn't something much worse. Yeah. Yeah. That it could have gone elsewhere or cut one of the, cut what you saw or, or anything like that. Yeah. And he's cracking jokes, you know, I'm sending him a message and he's, and I'm telling him that, yeah, people are on their way. He's all, yeah, cool. Send beer. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, the Iron Man stuff, right? So, yeah. Nice. Well, cool. So you're still, still waiting for clearance, making sure everything is, is uh, healed up before you, you head out on the bike again. Yeah. So injury was on, I think January 6th. So I'm, I'm a little over two weeks on the healing side of things. Things are not moving around as much as they once were. So bones are starting to mend. I'm starting to be, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> medical practitioners of any sort are never good patients. So I want to get back to riding and doing things like normal as quickly as possible. I'm already back to work and working full, full shifts. Um, but trying to abide by the weight limits for lifting and stuff like that, and definitely not riding for at least another, I think three weeks. So, um, yeah, hopefully get back on the bike soon. And, you know, I just, I miss riding. I miss, you know, that's my therapy. That's my, and I can, I can tell when I start getting grumpy and Molly will say, you know, go ride. You need to go ride. <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> get out of here. Load up your bike, go ride. And then I come back and I'm all happy and go, happy, go lucky and, you know, whatever. It's like, okay, that's better. We reset. Yeah. I wake up so. in the morning and say, what's that noise? Oh, I started your bike for you. Yeah, <laughs> it's warmed up and ready. Now get out of here. <laughs> yeah, that's the first thing I did when I got home. I walked out in the garage and I started my bikes. I'm like, I don't know why, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little uh, auditory stimulation, you know. Yeah, yeah there's, yeah. there's something even just about a bike idling, you know. But nice. Well, awesome. So we're gonna. So then I'll see you at uh, at Sonora Rally, and if we don't, uh, if we don't see you sooner. Absolutely. Looking nice. forward to it. If uh, anybody is interested in support for Sonora, yeah. let us know if you're interested in getting on an RFR. Um, we don't have the price of those packages set yet. Um, it's it's likely not going to be cheap. The bikes are being flown in from, uh, you know, the the Dubai and Poland. So there's in mm-hmm. there's involved in that so um but they are available and that's something that you can't say about rfrs in the states so no that's uh, correct i think that even i that was something that we had talked about uh previously or there's been a conversation about that it's like okay well the dakar is the dakar but you know thinking about it right the ability to rent an rfr uh and then be able to participate in a rally here in the states i think for a lot of people that you know the dakar not to downplay anybody's efforts to it or anything, you know, their aspirations, but the Dakar is a beast. I mean, just, just the monetary side of it is insane. Oh yeah. So, you know, the opportunity to do something similar to that here, you know, is, is there, it's right here. It's, it's way more obtainable than it is the Dakar. Not only that, but you got to basically apply to it. It's like applying to get into college. Right. And if you, I mean, if you take that mentality with it and say, okay, I can have an experience similar to Dakar. I mean, Sonora is a beautiful country. The organization that puts it on is phenomenal. Um, The writing itself is comparable. And, you know, the, the stages are longer in Dakar, but I imagine with this being a part of the world rally circuit that, the stages are going to be longer this year than they've ever been before. 
especially for the GP class, they have to be a certain length. So I imagine you're going to see 300 to 350 kilometer stages. Um, but so to get that experience and not have to travel halfway around the world, what are you willing to pay for that? I, you know, I would say if you can pay 20% of that or 30% of that, you know, and it, and it costs you 20, 25,000 bucks to do it. That's, that's an investment that should be considered, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, especially numbers I'm hearing from Dakar is a hundred K. Right. So yeah, 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 absolutely. So yeah, we're looking forward to it. We'll have, uh, we'll have some enduro bikes with rally towers. So if you're coming from, you know, BC and you don't want to, you don't want to haul your bike all the way down or ship it or whatever. And you want, you want to ride something similar to what you've been riding up there or, or, you know, you're coming from the East coast or whatever, you know, we'll, we'll have a package available for you. And if you're coming to do Malimoto, um, we'll have that option of available as well. Nice. Excellent. Perfect. Well, yeah, I'll get uh, I'll get links and, and the information that I can from you and, and drop those in the description. So so people will have somewhere to click on and and go find uh, go find their package. Yeah. Get out there. Awesome. Awesome. And I guess finally, I just want to say thanks to everybody that stepped up. This rally community um, got behind each and every writer that was representing the United States. And for me, um, people that I didn't even know. Um, complete and total strangers to me bought a t-shirt or sent a donation or you know something showed up in my Venmo account I had no idea who these people were um, but I just you, a huge heartfelt thank you um, sincere from my heart um, couldn't have done it without the support that I received um, support from my friends and family uh, just huge and uh, you know came up a little bit short from crossing the finish line but it was a dream realized just to get there so I really appreciate it you guys you doing this program putting this on you have raised awareness across the globe and really specifically for everybody in the United States um, for you know Jacob <laughs> I never would have found dust rally team without Jacob um, extending the invitation to you know to have a conversation with them um, to the people that are out there making road books um, gnarly Dave um, <laughs> he put in some hours with me you know and and they were pretty in the early going I'm thinking back to like 2019 early on when I I didn't know what I was doing you know like most people when they enter the rally world I couldn't tell you uh, uh, 180 degrees from 360 degrees <laughs> you know <laughs> But um, with his help and the help of a lot of other people, I, I feel like I made a pretty good go at it. And, you know, just want to say thanks to all those people that made a, made an effort and stepped up. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's good to hear that, you know, every, people you don't know. And I mean, it goes to show like exactly what you're saying is the, the rally family, you know, and how everybody, everybody pitches in. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome, sir. All right. Well, yeah, I'll let you get back to it. We'll get, uh, got a bike to work on and 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 you got some mending to do to get back on the bike (laughs) yep have a great weekend and uh, we'll talk soon yeah absolutely thank you sir enjoy take care all right take care bye all right so there you have it that was ace nelson dakar competitor that's just in its i mean talking about right the goal the goal is the finish line but in seeing it you know again from fifty thousand feet and and then talking to some of the guys like you know seeing the guys from the american rally originals and some of the stories and what you have to go through to get there um just getting there just getting accepted is already the like okay that means i can go to this and then it becomes like okay well i could go to this and now i gotta start it and then starting it and then i gotta finish it so i think there's a lot of goals along the way just to get to that spot so whether or not like where the dakar is probably the biggest dice roll because you could go at whatever speed you want to go at and you can do whatever, even if you want to trail ride the thing. And at the end of the day, you're just so many miles on a dirt bike that anything could happen. So the goal is always obviously to finish, but just the fact that you're there, you get to take the start line, take the podium uh, in the introduction and do all of that stuff. 
it's almost like achievement unlocked, right? You've made it, you've gotten this far. I mean, at least that's in my eyes, that's how I see it. So for the guys that did it this year in 2023 and the guys that are going to do it in the future, you know, hats off to taking that step and, and trying to make it happen. Um, it is a huge undertaking. There is nothing easy about it. I've yet to talk to anybody this year that came back and said, oh yeah, it was easy. It was actually way easier than I thought it was going to be. No, everybody said that everything they did to prepare for it was not enough. So with that being said, it's going to be a challenge, but that doesn't mean it's impossible. Challenges doesn't mean impossible right away. So anyway, that's the philosophical side of it. I'll drop one more bit on you guys before we say goodbye. Remember, it'll make sense when you get there. Enjoy the ride. All right, that is a wrap for the Chasing Waypoints podcast this week. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe if you like what you heard. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and a bunch of others. Also, follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook under Chasing Waypoints, Instagram, Chasing Waypoints underscore official, and, of course, the YouTube under Chasing Waypoints. Hope everybody has a good week. We will see you guys for the next episode. Remember, shiny side up, and don't forget to tag us. We want to see where you guys are riding and what you guys are up to. Have a great week. Peace.